Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Tonight we're going to do a Q&A panel with Pastor John and Pastor Ben. We've gotten to hear some really rich stories and truths the last couple nights. Um, I've gotten to take it all in. It is on our website, or it'll be on our website on Monday. Uh, the messages will be, or you can look on Facebook, and the, the videos are there if you want to catch up. But uh, wanted to squeeze some more knowledge out of these men of God. So, uh, Bob, why don't you come on up? This is Bob C. Bob is former pastor, many, many decades of faithfulness in his own right. And so, yeah, let's hear it for Bob. And Bob's going to help me moderate because he, you know, he's going to make it a good panel, actually. And, uh, and so we're going to kind of go back and forth and ask questions. Um, pastor Ben and John, come on up. You're going to have the middle seats. Yeah, we're, we've only got the one mic uh, to, to record everything, so we're just going to kind of pass it down the line. And uh, sort of the format, I'm going to get my little cheat sheet here. The format is I'm going to ask a question, and then I'll hand it off to Pastor John to take a minute or two uh, just to answer that. Then, then uh, Pastor Ben, you'll kind of do your answer, and then Bob, you'll have the next question. And we'll go back and forth a couple times. Then we'll open it up to some questions out here. So be thinking of like something that you can stump these really wise men with. Like what, you know, can, can God make a circle big enough that he can't fit in or something like that? I don't know. You know, just some, think of something to stump them. Um, and then also if you're on the live stream and you have a question, we'll try to even take some of those. And Brother Adam, maybe you can sort of monitor if we get some real good ones. Um, all questions are good questions. Unless they're not. Um, no. <laughs> That's why I'm not a teacher. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I've got a few queued up. And then I just wanted you, you all to know sort of the format we're going to go with. So if you do have something, um, we'll kind of toss it your way. So just be thinking of something. Um, I'll go ahead and sit down here. And uh, Adam, let, let me know for like in the screen and everything so we get everybody. Okay, we're good. Um, you know, when you have as much experience as you two do, again, about a hundred years of combined pastoral experience, so about a century, sometimes we forget that you two had to come to know the Lord at some point. And there was a person or a service or a church that you ran into and you met the Lord for the first time. And so I wondered if, if just at first you could just tell us maybe even the person or how that happened and then maybe the age or about what time. And then on top of that, that's kind of a two-point question. After that, when did you begin to sense like, I'm not just called to be a believer, but I'm called to leadership, to pastoral ministry. When was that special calling or that kind of that heightened sense of calling? When did that kind of come into the picture? So a two-part question. Start with you, Pastor. Okay. 
Well, um, my story, and I don't want to keep you long with the story, but uh, it goes back uh, to the fact I was brought up in a Christian home. My dad was my pastor. And, um, but at the same time, I, I did not know Jesus personally uh, until the age of 13. And um, my dad was wise in one sense. He, uh, when I got to the age of 12, 13, he said, no, I'm not going to force you to come to church anymore. I want that to be your decision. So uh, for a 13-year-old, that was a golden moment for, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and so I, I didn't go for a while, uh, just a, a few weeks. It was only a few weeks. And um, I found myself one Sunday morning waking up and feeling I, I need to be in church. And uh, my family had left. And uh, back then, you know, because I'm an old man now, we had to walk two miles to the church. And um, they'd all left and, and were in church. The services started and I... Uh, arrived late and snuck in at the back. But, of course, my dad saw me, and um, he preached the biggest hellfire <laughs> sermon you could ever imagine. And um, I got up and decided I'm not going back to that. So I, I left. Um, but Holy Spirit was working on my life, and... Um, I decided in the afternoon, it was the days when you went to church in the morning, you went to Sunday school in the afternoon, and then church at night, you know, and uh, so I decided to go to another church in the afternoon to Sunday school, uh, because Holy Spirit was really uh, working in me, and um, I I went into the Sunday school and um, uh, just fitted into one of the classes of my age boys, and uh, again... Uh, her name was Mrs. Prosser, it's a Welsh uh, name, and she was teaching, and, uh, but she, she didn't teach. She preached hellfire again, you know, and uh, I thought she's been talking to my dad, you know. Uh, so again, I left there, and I made a decision at night, I'll go to church tonight, but, and I need to tell you, Wales... Um, has their own language. It's a Welsh, it's uh, called Welsh, (laughs) believe it or not. And um, I decided to go to a Welsh Baptist church. And and I knew I wouldn't understand a word because I I, I can count to ten in Welsh, but I can't speak the language at all. Um, And so I thought I'll just go in. uh, Only to find that night they'd invited a Pentecostal speaker uh, to preach, and uh, uh, true enough, it was hellfire again, you know, and uh, (laughs) I walked out of there absolutely mad. I I was crazy mad, you know, and um, I was walking the streets of our village, and um, suddenly I heard music, and I realized that... um, the church uh, in, in the village that um, my dad was attached to um, were holding an open-air service. It used to happen nearly every Sunday night. Uh, they'd just stand out on the street and just bellow out music and preach the gospel, you know. And, and I was so mad, I walked up, and I was almost cursing them as I went up. And uh, so mad about this. Two of the guys crossed over and they cornered me between a brick wall and a lamppost and they said, John, when are you going to stop fighting, you know? 
and um, uh, you're fighting the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just, the power of conviction came on me, and I said, I can't fight anymore. And uh, they, they took me into a dear old lady's cottage, and I knelt down by a sofa, and that night I surrendered uh, wow. to Jesus, and uh, it changed my life. I, as I walked home, I knew something deep had happened in my life. And I also knew that um, I would end up sometime in the ministry. I knew it that night, you know. So that's how I came to know Jesus, and that's how I began to feel the call of God on my life as well. Over to you, Ben. (laughs) Thanks, John. It's great to hear other people's story, isn't it? Uh, Before I share mine, I, I just want to assure each of us here tonight and those that are listening that there are thousands of ways to come to Jesus. And if you read the New Testament alone, you can... Whoa! <laughs> Some find Jesus through water, you know. Uh, but uh, sometimes I think the enemy will use our hearing of someone else's story or mine that somehow yours is inauthentic because it doesn't share some of the same... Attributes, And I just want to affirm the validity of your journey with Jesus. Lots of ways that people come to Jesus. And you pay attention to those in the Gospels, and you see there's a wide variety. So I, I was raised in a very conservative church, the Apostolic Christian. Some of you may have known that. Uh, my dad was a minister. And so church attendance was a high priority for us. And... Uh, we heard the hellfire and brimstone uh, message. I remember Pastor Mike Winett was an old, he was old when I was young, you know. So, and he would preach hellfire and they, anyway, uh, grew up hearing the gospel, but didn't do anything about it. I would have acknowledged that it was the truth, but it, it never penetrated my soul until I left home and went to the University of Illinois in 1974 where as a freshman, uh, away from home for the first time, I began to experience a, an inner conflict between a desire for an education and what it demanded and a desire for an active social life. And they, they were not meshing. What I later learned, it was the deep conviction of the Holy Spirit that began to move upon me in those early days away from home. I also was influenced by my Christian roommate named Bob. Bob was a third cousin of mine. We didn't know each other well, but I just thought he was weird. You know, (laughs) he played singing love songs to Jesus on his guitar. We would stay up late at night eating Garcia's pizza. But I knew that Bob had something that I didn't have, which was peace. He was at peace with God and the world. And... After several months uh, of this inner conflict, one night, long after Bob had fallen asleep, I slipped out of my dorm room bed, room 413 Babcock Hall, University of Illinois, Pennsylvania Avenue Residence Halls, 1030 at night, and I knelt to pray, probably sincerely for the very first time in my life. And I prayed, Jesus, if you're real, please come into my life. And in that moment, I felt the weight of a thousand tons just lift off of my life. 
And I would later learn, as I read the Bible, that I had experienced the new birth, the birth from above in John 3, and that I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I was later baptized, and uh, that was a beautiful experience. I never really felt a call to pastor. Um, other, I mean, as I described for you last night, um, when my wife and I had experienced a filling of the Holy Spirit and began to see things in the Bible that we'd never heard in our former church, and we asked the elders, and they said, you can have a potluck, but don't, don't have a Bible study. It just made us all the hungrier. And anyway, we started a little Bible study, and the Spirit of God was moving, and and we had moved back here to Peoria after graduation. And I heard the Lord say through the text in Hebrews eleven eight that we were to return to Champagne. That was as much as of divine guidance as we'd received. And so we obeyed and went, but didn't have a clue what it what the future held. I was assuming I would get a job and my wife would get a job and we would nurture this small little group of people. And uh, the only thing significant that then that followed that initial move was we had rented a, an empty, vacant church building on the campus that needed renovation. It, the, 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 you know, the roof was leaking and the grass needed mowed and needed painting, etc. So because I'm a handy guy and I didn't have a job, <laughs> I told my brother-in-law, happy, I said, well, I'll take six months and we'll, I'll renovate the building for our Bible studies on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And so I did that, you know, we cleaned the place up and got it ready to use. And on the last day of kind of cleaning up the paint supplies, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I just want you to stay here. I didn't have a clue what that meant. I meant stay, stay where? Like, it's just a building. So I want you to stay here. Now, my brother-in-law was an insurance salesman. He sold insurance to pig farmers in central Illinois. He was driving up around Roanoke and Eureka that afternoon. And he stopped by the church building on Friday about 4 o'clock, kind of see how things had wrapped up. And he said, hey, Ben, you know, the strangest thing happened to me today. I'm up driving around home. He's from Eureka. He said, I was driving around home, and I felt like the Lord told me to tell you, you're supposed to just to stay here. <laughs> and I said, you won't believe this. Maybe you will, but I said, he said that same thing to me. And that's as, that's as much of a calling to pastor as I ever received. So I stayed there. Uh, we had opened up a little Christian bookstore because at that time you couldn't find very much teaching in the charismatic movement. Uh, so we had a little charismatic bookstore. I cleaned the toilets and mowed the grass, and I went to the hospital to pray for people who called in sick. And I started a Bible study, of, and there were three people in it. The, one of them committed suicide. One of them killed his father and ended up in jail. And the third one was my wife, and she couldn't leave. So <laughs> that was where I started. And I just stayed there. And that was the beginning of what grew to be a 40-year um, pastoral ministry. I'm still thinking about Garcia's pizza. That used to be wonderful stuff. So, <laughs> Flying Tomato Brothers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, first, just um, uh, Derek and Mandy, we really appreciate the ministry you have here and for uh, hosting this uh, seminars here the last three days. And um, before I ask a question, though, I think it's in, uh, I'd like to do this first. Is that um, Pastor John? Um, 
I'm with millions of other Americans who are very saddened over the, the passing of uh, Queen Elizabeth, and I think we'd like to hear your perspective on that, some thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, for me, I, I, I was a little shocked by how heavy the emotion was when I heard that she'd passed, and um, always had a deep, deep respect for her, and uh, especially for her love for Jesus. And, uh, you know, every Christmas, uh, I may have told somebody this, every Christmas uh, she would uh, have a spot on the TV in the afternoon at 3 o'clock, <coughs> which was the Queen's speech, and um, she would come on and just preach the gospel. Uh, she said, let me tell you what this day is about, and uh, my faith in Jesus, you know. But I, I, I was hoping to have a little moment uh, to share something I heard on the way in tonight, and um, it was that the Queen, a little while back, uh, was talking uh, to uh, one of the um, priests, she, Church of England priest, and uh, she said, do you think Jesus will come back in my lifetime? And uh, he says, well, I can't tell you, no one knows the day, nor the hour. She said, I'd, I'd really like him to come because I'd like to cast my crown at his feet. Wow. You know? uh, and uh, that is just amazing. Uh, tells you a lot about her. So uh, the other thing that's happened that's major is that they cancelled all the soccer in Britain. <laughs> we watch the soccer every week, you know, on the TV, and they cancelled it all this week because the Queen passed. Uh, but uh, just... The godliness of the man, uh, of the woman, she was led to the Lord by Billy Graham, and um, had a very personal relationship with Jesus. And um, although I'm sad, she is with Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, a question I just want to toss to both of you. You probably have alluded to it in different ways already, but um, I'd like you both to. Um, Tell about someone who was influential in how you did how you did ministry. Okay, maybe a mentor, maybe somebody whose uh, ministry model was something that you wanted to pursue and or kind of emulate, or maybe it's an author. Um, yeah, just tell us about who they were and how they helped you. It's a great question. Um, if we include uh, the mentoring that has come by books, it would be a much larger question, Bob. But I'll, I'll, I'll just narrow it to the two that were profoundly influential on me. In my early days at experiencing what back in those days Charismatics or Pentecostals called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that I would now call the filling of the Spirit, we were influenced by a man named Hobart Freeman, a relatively unknown uh, pastor and leader of a church of about 2,000 people in Warsaw, Indiana. And he came in as part of what we would probably now refer to as the faith camp. But uh, he was a Pentecostal theologian, and his book, The Deeper Life in the Spirit, is undeniably one of the five most influential books that I've ever read. And because I never went to seminary, uh, I sat at his feet through cassette tape where he taught his congregation over a number of years the equivalent of a Bible college degree. And so I would sit in the little broom closet, which was my office at that church I had just described, 
and listen to cassette tapes and study biblical and practical theology and all the books of the Bible that were taught by Dr. Hobart Freeman. But perhaps more powerfully and more dramatically, I was influenced by a man named John Wimber, who is credited with founding the vineyard, although he really wasn't the founder. That was actually a man by the name of Ken Gullickson. But uh, Ken, in his uh, mercy and humility, recognized that the call of God on John was so much larger than himself that in 1982, he turned the leadership of that group of early vineyards over to uh, John Wimber. But we were privileged to know John, uh, met John in 1981, and he had been at our church on a number of occasions. And at that time, the vineyard movement was very small, just a handful of churches. And we, it was a relationally connected movement, as it still is today. And so over the next two decades... Uh, John passed in 97. We were privileged to have a a vital and personal relationship with John Wimber. And when church history is is written, I mean, he will be recognized as perhaps one of the more influential leaders uh, around the globe in helping equip the church how to pray for the sick and modeling how uh, worship works. You know, today with, with the plethora of of worship ministries that have grown out of the seed of, of the original vineyard movement, uh, we, we, we often fail to recognize that it wasn't always this way. <laughs> we take it for granted in many ways. But uh, John was not only a friend but a mentor theologically uh, and uh, practically, and his ministry and life influenced mine in ways for which I will forever be grateful. Amen. That is a great question, uh, and uh, Bob. Uh, again, I, I think books, you know, are major. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, books, uh, and, and so many books, really. But um, I, the book that changed my life, and I, I didn't read this until four or five years ago. But um, uh, I've always suffered with this inferiority complex, a feeling. Uh, that I, I didn't fit, mainly because my education, I had nothing. And, uh, but I, I found it difficult. I, I found it great being among, among, can I use the word, normal people. <laughs> but when I was amongst pastors, I felt I, I didn't match up. So I, I suffered with that for many years. But then I, I read a book by Henry Nolan, uh who was a Roman Catholic priest, actually, and uh, he wrote a book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And um, it, it is the best book that I ever read. And that, that changed my life in many, many senses. Uh, but then I could talk about lots of other people. But the one guy that stands out to me uh, is a guy that never wrote a book, and, um, but was an apostle. Uh, his name was John Phillips. He was on the executive council of the Assemblies of God in the UK for many years. And, um, but also, he used to go on these missions trips into the Amazon uh, jungle. 
And um, if you go down to the Manaus area, which is at the entrance of uh, the Amazon, and you talk to them uh, about John Phillips, they stand in awe because uh, he just went up into the jungles and he'd come back home and he'd write articles in the Assemblies of God magazine just telling it was like reading uh, the the trips of the apostle paul you know it was uh, just awe inspiring well uh, i uh, i got to this church uh, the church before i i came over here and i'd been there uh, a little while and we had something of of some uh, success there and the thing started to grow um, but i felt i needed someone uh, to talk to and um, as I was praying, I felt the Lord say, call John Phillips. Well, because of my inferiority and also because of who he was and the standing that he had, I, um, I, 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 I wouldn't. And, um, but this thing from Holy Spirit just kept nagging me. And finally, I picked up the courage one day and I called him. And I said, um, John, you probably uh, have never heard of me, but I, I'm just obeying the promptings of Holy Spirit. I'm, um, I, he said, John who? I said, John King. He said, I know you. <laughs> he said, I've been following what's been going on there, and I've been praising God for what's been happening there. Of course, I know you. I said, I was just wondering if you'd give me just an hour or two. And he lived about um, three hours away from us. Um, and he said, name the date. When do you want me to come? I said, oh, I'd come to you. No, I'm coming down to you. I want to see what's, what's happening there. And um, he came down. He gave me the whole day. And, um, I, and that started a friendship that went on until he passed about two years ago uh, at 96, same age as the Queen. <laughs> And um, But he poured into my life. I invited him over to Faith Christian Center, and um, he just shared the vision of the Amazon. Well, the missions team in Faith Christian Center grabbed onto that, and uh, I went with him on the first uh, missions trip that Faith Christian Center did into the Amazon. Um, long story short, the end result of that is that um, through Faith Christian Center and Riverside, we built 25 churches in the Amazon jungle and supported 30 or 40 pastors for a number of years there. And um, it's just been remarkable. But that man was a theologian above theologians. He just had a deep understanding, totally, totally filled with Holy Spirit and, um, and just fed me or made me laugh a lot. Uh, cried with me, he was with me during my breakdown. I had this breakdown uh, in uh, 1988, and um, he just turned up. He, he stood on my, you know, we were in the days where milk was delivered to the, the door, and he turned up one morning, like it was uh, about 8 o'clock, and he stood on the door with a bottle of milk. He said, milk, go, you know, use your milk. And I, it's John Phillips. And he said, get dressed, we're going out for the day. And he just took me out and poured into my life. It was wow. just remarkable. So I'll never forget that man. His picture's on my bookcase at home, an apostle of the faith and a friend of John King's, uh, which I found a great honor. Amen. Wow, that's, 
This is good so far. I think I'll ask another one, then Bob, you'll do one, and then just be thinking. We'll, we'll, we'll turn it out to the, to the masses out there. Um, but so your responses have kind of put a few more questions in me. And, and so this next one would be about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and ministry. Um, you know, I think the older I get, the more I pay attention to trends and, you know, how the church is, is you know, in the whole world, what's the church doing? And it seems as if the spirit-filled churches or the churches that are really wanting to go after Holy Spirit, they're growing. They're becoming more influential. Um, and churches that aren't, they're not growing. It seems like that divide is out there based on what I've read. And I know both of you would say, I've been filled by the Spirit. That's an important part of my life. But could you just maybe even share your philosophy about that or how, how the Holy Spirit has helped your ministry or helped you personally or just, just wanted to hear just a couple minutes on, on that because um, I know that's maybe an issue for, for a young leader as well. If I do the Holy Spirit thing, will people leave my church? Because it's, you know, people might think that's weird. Um, but really, that, I think that's the way we need to go. But I just want, I want you guys to t- touch on that. Yeah, another great, great question. <clears throat> and um, uh, I'll use John Phillips uh, for an illustration on, on that in a moment. But um, for me, um, the whispers of Holy Spirit have directed my life. And um, uh, it's been more for me, not with a shout from heaven, but a whisper from Holy Spirit. And, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's just been an amazing journey in that way. Um, I do believe that we come through differing times. Uh, I think the charismatic move of God in the 80s and 90s uh, and late 70s into 80s and 90s were, was very, very significant and uh, was thrilled to be a part of that, um, you know. But um, I also know that culture changes and it does affect us whether we like it or not. And, um, and this is where I'll tell you what John Phillips, uh, I was talking to him and there was huge things happening, uh, culturally and changes that were happening in the church. And I said, John, how, how, do, you, how do you work out wh- which way you're going to go? You're like, you know, and and um, I said, um, well, he said, the one thing that I, I do believe in, and a lot of people hate this word, and a lot of charismatics hate this word, it's the word balance, okay? And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like that word, but I, I, I like it. And, I, and, and also he gave me another word, and the word was wacky. Uh, he said, I stay away from the wacky. I keep in a balanced way. But this one thing I do, he said, you know, I, I, I was down at the beach, and I was watching surfers in the sea. And uh, he said, I noticed that they didn't always go with every wave. They watched the sea and they saw the wave that they knew would carry them. And I, he, he said, they just got on that wave and, and, and rode the wave. And he said, I just watch what the wind of the Holy Spirit's doing and the waves that are moving. And he said, when I see the wave of God, the Holy Spirit, I get on the wave. And uh, I don't go with the culture. I watch the wave 
and I go where Holy Spirit is leading, it, wow. it, you know, and uh, it took me a lot of time to just pray that through and think that through, but that has uh, kept me over the years uh, not to go with any of the extremes, uh, but to keep, uh, just watch the wave, there's a good wave you can, can really get on, you know. Yeah, that's good. It's interesting, John, that your mentor said almost the same thing as mine. John Wimber, uh, in our early walk, uh, would tell us, based on the story in the Bible in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and there was a sound, an audible witness, a sound. There was a visible witness, tongues of fire. um, And uh, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit blew. And John would tell us, you can't make the wind blow, but you can put your sail up and catch it when it's blowing. And so he taught us early on to cultivate an expectancy. Uh, Paul, The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And the original language, it's a present participle that we might say more accurately today, keep on being filled. And so... Uh, it's not a one and done, a baptism that you experienced in 1979 and it's kind of like done, Um, but rather a posture of being open to his filling. Uh, Theologically speaking, I I think I discovered when I was younger, one baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. But many fillings... And that's what seems normative in the book of Acts, Luke and Acts, that disciples were often filled again. The same people that were filled in Acts 2 were filled again in Acts 4. And so John uh, taught us to cultivate an expectancy to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit and to expect his powerful, visible presence as we gathered in small groups and large groups and in personal devotions. And just the way I've, I, I like what you've said, John, that you, you heard the Lord in gentle whisper. For me, I heard, have heard Holy Spirit speak most consistently through the Bible. That as I read, he speaks through the text to my heart, the right thing at the right time, in the right way, and for the right reason. And so... Uh, I guess that would be a kind of a framework that I've learned to embrace and to this day try to continue to embrace. And then, yeah, I, you know, thinking about wacky, we've lived through in our church history a lot of waves of the Spirit. There was the Toronto blessing that some of you might remember that season from 94 to 98 when wild and crazy things happened in churches and there were other seasons of, of renewal, the Holy Spirit's presence, and learning to pastor people through those things, like, you know, eat the straw and spit out the sticks, and like, don't go crazy, just be Holy Spirit, uh, you know, and then in some cases, it's like, yeah, but that not that flesh, and I would say things like, well, you know, if it's 90% flesh and 10% spirit, isn't that 10% more than what we had? <laughs> so you learn to shepherd the moving of the spirit, although he does weird things. I mean, just read the Bible. <laughs> you know, he, he does weird things. And so you have to be prepared to 
pastor people through the, uh, the abnormalities of Holy Spirit's movement in the kingdom. So. I, I remember, um, and Kelly, you remember Paul Martin, uh, who was the pastor of Faith Christian Center uh, before I came. And um, I was talking to him one day, and um, uh, I said, it seems to me, I'm talking back now when all that stuff was happening with Toronto, and I thank God for it. it God does extreme things to get our attention, you know, but... Uh, I said, I just worry it's a little bit of wildfire, you know, that's going on. He said, John, don't worry about the wildfire. There's plenty of wet blankets that will deal with that. (laughs) That's good. And thinking of fire, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit is often called fire or referred to as one of his images in the Bible. And uh, our, our mentor, John, would say, you want the fire of the Holy Spirit. Fire is, is necessary, it's helpful. Uh, fire in the fireplace is what we want, but fire in the middle of the living room floor is destructive. And so the pastor's jobs, uh, our calling, is to help shepherd the people to keep the fire in the fireplace where it can be actually productive and fruitful. Yeah, pastoring uh, through manifestations and the work of the Spirit is a difficult thing. <laughs> one, one friend of mine says, we call for the Holy Spirit to come. Please come, please come. Then when he shows up, we say, now sit in the back room, behave yourself. <laughs> um, let's see, Pastor John, when did, how old were you when you started pastoring? Uh, I was, my first church was when I was 20. 20, okay, wow. Okay, uh, Pastor Ben? 21. Okay, wow, 20 and 21. So if you could go back to yourself when you were 20 and when you were 21 uh, and talk to yourself now with what you know now, what kind of advice, encouragement, correction, what would you, uh, what would you say to yourself um, at this point in your life? Two seconds to think about it. <laughs> And I'll say just a couple of things. One, in my youth and zeal, I thought I had to work really, 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 really hard. And so that meant in the early days of my family, I was gone a lot, leading Bible studies as we planted the church. You know. And I would tell my younger self, don't do that. You don't have to work that hard. Like, it, it's, it's not up to you. It, God's going to, what God calls, he'll provide. And so... There's a lot of reasons that young people in ministry do those things. Insecurity, doubt, fear, lack of training, lack of some older mentors coming in alongside of us and saying, hey, don't do that, Ben. Spend four nights at home, spend two nights away. And so I would, uh, I, if I could rewind the clock, I, I would shed a lot of that false pretense that I needed to power it up and get it done, and I would trust Jesus to do it more. Uh, it's a great question because um, I feel sorry for everyone that sat under my ministry through my 20s, to be honest. And um, I have a little thought. I feel that I really came into my own and found uh, who I was in 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 pastoring when I was 30. 
And I think there's something about 30 that's important. Jesus started when he was 30, if you remember. And uh, I really think that my ministry went in a um, new direction from the age of 30. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't, I don't regret the 20s, um, but they were hard, difficult years in many, many ways balancing young family and, and, um, and my own ego, as I told you the other night. And uh, those were, were not the best years that I look back on. I don't have regrets, but I, I look back and I think those could have been handled differently. But um, that, that's a major thing that I would think, uh, you know, that when you hit 30, something happens. Yeah. Super good. Okay. Do we have any questions out here or potentially any comments that have been sent? In? Okay. Anything? And y- you just say it real loud and then I'll say it again in the microphone so I, folks can hear. Because of the hour we're living in, everything's okay. changed the last couple of years. Yes. We see the acceleration of the tears and weeks and what's happening. Yes. How would you see the church needs to adjust? Mm. We can't Right. Okay. That's and good. I don't know if you have seen or the Lord's shown you how should the church adjust to be more effective, more Christ like, and more powerful and for Okay, I got you. Okay. Well, I actually had something like that written down for later, so you just read right off my notes. But so the question would be you know, you've led for many decades I'm kind of trying to reiterate here um, but as far as from here on out where does it go how do leaders lead how do young leaders lead what what we're stepping into new territory it's kind of in, in maybe even the sense of entering the promised land so to speak entering promises entering difficulties at the same time what would be your two cents where do you see it going? Um, we could probably talk a while about this, but I'll just hand it over with that. Did I kind of sum it up a little bit? Okay. Yeah. Why do you think we retired? <laughs> 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 we saw what was coming. But, um, yeah, I retired the end of 2019, and then uh, Michael, my son-in-law, took over, and within two months we were in COVID, you know. <laughs> so it was... Uh, I was thanking God like crazy for his timing, to be honest. But, um, but here's the thing that happened, you know, uh, for me. Um, not long after I'd retired, very kindly, they, uh, I was going to disappear for at least 12 months. My son-in-law said, I don't want you doing that. I want you sitting in the seat where you were. Uh, I trust you. You're not going to make trouble for me. I know who you are, etc., etc. And he very kindly uh, said, "I want you to stay," and which was good, actually, for my wife. She didn't want to go anywhere anyway, you know. And even when I go out preaching, she stays. Uh, yeah, you can tell who she's enjoying now. But um, but I sat in a service, and Michael was preaching, and I I said to the Lord. He's speaking a different language to me, and both in style and in in language, he is totally different uh, to what I am, uh, and uh, in his vulnerability, huge 
vulnerability uh, uh, that resonates with people. And, um, you know, pastors, you heard me say this, they attract 10 years older than them and 10 years younger. Well, I was attracting 80-year-olds and 70-year-olds, <laughs> and 60-year-olds. But he's speaking a language that this new generation is now resonating with. And I think there's, there's change. Now, it wouldn't be uh, the spirit-filled environment that we've been used to, you know, in our charismatic roots, and et cetera, et cetera. But Holy Spirit fills the room, and people are streaming to the altar to know Jesus. So, you know, the key, I think, as well, going back to the thing about Holy Spirit, is, is that if Holy Spirit is active, people are getting saved. Uh, you will become witnesses. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that, that's a sign for me. I, have, uh, I believe that there's great change that has got to happen. We've got to ask the question, are we just um, shepherding people who are shepherds in the sense they are mature and you're getting a crowd of people that have been in church all their life and yeah, they hop around churches in Peoria, they hop around like rabbits, all right? It's a crazy thing that happens. But, um, or are we doing what God wants us to do and stepping out of our comfort zone, uh, you know, to be what God wants us to be right now? And... Um, I think that's very difficult for a lot of leaders uh, to sit down and say, do I need to change? It's not changing the message, but it is changing the way that we communicate and meet a new generation uh, that is open to you just speaking your mind and uh, don't mince your words. We want to hear the truth, you know, and that's what uh, I would say to that. That's a great question, and I uh, appreciate your wisdom, John. And uh, I would say just a couple of things. One, um, an author by the name of Phyllis Tickle, some of you may have heard of her, wrote a book called The Great Emergence. And she passed away a number of years ago, three or four years ago now. But I believe the book is a prophetic proclamation, and her thesis is that approximately every 500 years the church goes through uh, a sea change, and she documents it through history, and we're right now at another one of those 500-year sea changes. And she didn't live to see COVID, but uh, I think that we are in one of those Hebrews 12 great shakings where everything that is can be shaken is being shaken, and only those things that cannot will remain. But this is a season. It's not going to be an instant fix or discernment. And I think that uh, we, we will engage in keeping our message true, as John just declared. The church's message isn't changing. Jesus Christ, him crucified, death and resurrection. The one eternal uh, God the Father who had the Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, who died and buried and rose again. And the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That message isn't changing, and it won't change. It's eternal. But the market to whom the message is going has changed around the world post-COVID. And really, in the 
in, in the more broad sense, as culture has changed. And so the, the market has changed. And so that means, thirdly, that the methods have to change. And I think we can look at the fruit of American discipleship, particularly in, in the evangelical churches, and we can say that doesn't really look much like Jesus uh, over the last number of years. And so we've got to rethink the methods that we're employing to disciple and to reach people. And so I think that's going to be a season of evaluation. And we can't just rush back to the way everything was before COVID. Uh, we know that in many practical ways, but in a, in a more cosmic way with the church as well. We've got to rethink. But I, I'm glad that I, I get to be a part of that from uh, retired, and I don't have the responsibility yeah. of shepherding a church through it now. I can just yeah, yeah. I can mentor younger leaders and let them do it. Uh, but just a couple of thoughts. So. Oh, well, I was going to, yeah, if there's another question... Um, Yes. Yeah, I'd like thank you for everything you've shared. It's been tremendous. Uh, I'd like to hear any recollections you might have about uh, grappling with discernment. Here, you want to say that back to Okay. Yeah, the question is uh, asking uh, uh, the two pastors um, uh, any recollections of grappling with discernment, like specific situation or something where they're really trying to discern the Lord's guidance in, in it? Is that right? Okay. For me and the churches that I've led, it, it, it's important to, to set a, a, a context. It's often said that he or she who frames the argument wins. And I would say the frame uh, around this discussion slash argument, um, it, not that your question is contentious, Wes, it's, that it's, it's often hotly debated among Christian circles, is that God is a speaking God. He's a communicating God. And that he desires to communicate with his people. And that he communicates in many different ways. And so when we set that as the boundary and say that from cover to cover, God's a speaking God and he communicates to his people, um, then we, we can give people freedom and permission to engage the speaking God in the ways that the Bible and church history show that he communicates. And so there are a handful of ways. We're familiar with many of them. He speaks through the scripture. He speaks through the witness of the church. He speaks through our own inward witness of the speaking Holy Spirit. Sometimes he speaks through our common sense because of the brain that he's given to us to think logically and conclusively. Sometimes he speaks through the providential control of circumstances in our life where, you know, it's not that every time God closes a door, it means no. But it does mean that he can control things in such a way that we see through circumstance God's clear answer. And then there's a bevy of supernatural ways that a large portion of the church, us included, I think most of us, would say God speaks through dreams and through visions, through gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation, through angelic visits. And God directs his people that way. One of the compelling reasons we moved back to Peoria was 
I, I had what I experienced was a, an angelic vision where on the way to church, there was a van next to me that had on the side of it painted in large capital letters on an otherwise very expensive paint job. Looks like white stencil letters that said, transplant your life. I was preaching that morning on, are you satisfied with where you're at? And my answer that I didn't tell the church, but that I was wrestling with personally was, no. (laughs) And only God would use that language to a landscape architect because you transplant plants when they are one of two things. They're either in the wrong place or they are root bound. And when I saw that stencil writing on the side of that van on a Sunday morning on Lincoln Avenue where there was no other traffic because it was 7.30 on Sunday morning, I knew that it was the message of the Lord to me, but I was so petrified that I didn't tell anybody for six months. Because I I was like, well, Lord, if that's you, then you're going to have to talk to my wife because she's not going anywhere without you speaking. So anyway, all of that is just simply to illustrate that uh, God also uses supernatural means. And so those seven or eight ways, if we're patient with them, God will use them to speak and confirm. Another way that I didn't share is the, the, the wisdom of those that we love and trust and are living in community with, whether there's a witness with them that the decisions we're making are, are wise and prudent and thoughtful and true. And um, so I'd say that that's that's a beginning place for what I would encourage people uh, that are pressing through uh, decision making and the will of God for their lives. Start there. Good. A good sermon. That was good. Yeah, good stuff. I, I don't think I, I could add much to that. Um, and, and I trust in you asking what we feel about discernment. What was on your mind? Was it ever a challenge? Was there ever something that you had to discern that was very tricky? And how you resolved that? All right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I've had a lot of interesting moments uh, in my life where I've had to discern things uh, quickly. I was at, this is just a funny story that happened. You may have been there, Kelly, or Michael may have been there. Uh, But I was at Faith Christian Center, and uh, I'm preaching one morning, and a guy stood up in the congregation and shouted out, I am Jesus Christ. (laughs) See, yeah. And so I just stopped and I'm thinking, now how do I handle this? You know, do I cast the devil out or what? But uh, suddenly I found myself saying, Jesus, sit down. And he just sat down and we carried on with the service. So it was very good. <laughs> yeah. But uh, coming back to that, my, my two goal place when I'm trying to discern exactly what I want to, uh, where I want to go, um, is, and, and I just go back to my call to America. Uh, that was a major moment for me because I didn't know where I was coming. I thought I was going to Chicago, and it was three hours away from Chicago down here. And, um, uh, but I wanted to hear from God, and I wanted to know 
that I was doing the right thing. And so I told the Lord one night I was going to bed and I said, tomorrow I'm going to get up, I'm going to pick up the word and I'm going to read from where I left off. I had the habit of reading through a book of the Bible and not jumping around the Bible. I just read through a book at that time. I'm doing the same as you now. So. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, uh, I said, tomorrow I'm going to get up. And I've had this call to America. They, they, they wanted me to go. And uh, I want you to give me clear direction, number one, from your word. Uh, and I got up the next morning. I'm in Genesis chapter 12. And uh, the first words are, leave your country and your family and your country and go to the land that I am showing you. I will be with you and bless you, and he who curses you will be cursed, he who blesses you will be blessed. And I said, okay, Uh, I hear you. But again, I wanted to hear from John Phillips, my mentor. I talked to him about it. And then I've got this rule in my life that when I've got a, a decision on what direction I'm going to go, I'm going to look to the scriptures, I'm going to talk to mentors, but now I want the peace of God in my life. So I imagine myself going down this track, and then I imagine myself going down the other track that I've got a choice of, and I'm saying, God, put your peace on one of those tracks. And and I found it's helped me that Sometimes the hardest track that I wouldn't have chosen is the one that the peace of God comes on. And I go that way, and, and I found that, that that's been a, a great way of discerning the will of God. But it's a, as, as Bob said, uh, Ben said, it's a number of things uh, that we use to discern the will of God. Okay, Donise, okay, we'll go to you. And we do have about, I'd say, 10 minutes left, so we'll try to squeeze in a few more. So, But I just want to do a time check here. But go for it. Yeah, different calls on your life. That's, yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll address that just real briefly. Um, it's interesting that, you know, of all, of all the questions over the last 40 years, the theological questions, heaven, hell, divorce, remarriage, demons, whatever, by far the most consistent question I have fielded from young and old alike is, how do I discern the will of God for my life? And I would say, as I have experienced and as I understand the Bible, there are basically two calls on our life. The first is a, is a call to a full-time disciple. And every person who names the name of Christ can fulfill that call wherever they are, no matter what they're doing, no matter what their life circumstances are. And succinctly, there are five charges in the general call. There's the great command which we know love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself that's pretty sufficient right there we could stop right there and we could live that as a calling the general call for the rest of our lives but for illustration secondly 
the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. The Great Leveler, Matthew 7, 1 to 2, don't judge. Don't assume moral or, or spiritual superiority over any person. Third, uh, fourthly, uh, the, the, the Great Charge, which is to be a neighbor, Luke 13, the parable of the Great Samaritan. Cross those lines of racial, social, religious difference and serve others in love and compassion and power. And then fifthly, uh, the, the great rule, which is Matthew seven twelve. we call it the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And so in general, that's the, that's the general call. And every Christ follower can live those without any specific marching orders for their whole life and live a life that glorifies God right where they are. Now, there are occasions where Jesus will direct his people to a specific call. In John 17, 4, in the great priestly prayer, Jesus is praying uh, to the Father, and he says, Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And it seems to imply that there's a specific work that he gives to us and that it is both knowable and completable. And this is beyond our general call to be a Christ follower wherever he places us. And this call comes with varying degrees of clarity. We heard last night John's specific call when he was 15. Uh, I've never had a specific call other than go to Champaign and stay here. That was my specific call. But if you look through the pages of the Bible and church history, Many people received specific calls. Adam, till the garden. Moses, uh, lead my people. Noah, build a boat. John the Baptist, proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Paul, preach to the Gentiles. And, and many people through church history had a very specific call. God spoke in a, a, a wide variety of ways and made a specific mission that generally aligns with a person's personality, temperament, passions, and gifts. Not always, but mostly. And he makes a specific mission clear. But please know that if you never receive with clarity or conviction a specific call, you're off the hook. It's God's job to make it clear to us. How can he hold us accountable to something that he doesn't tell? As long as we maintain a posture of openness to uh, whatever he might speak, uh, and, and in that sense, a specific call that might be, as I mentioned last night, a complete life reorientation or maybe one degree of difference, then we will fulfill the work that he calls us to do. So I don't know if that's helpful, but uh, John, if you want to... No, I, I love that, and uh, gives great clarity too to the Antioch call in that sense, you know. Um, but no, I, I really do feel what what I I really feel is is that the general call is that uh, we get up to our neck in the work of God where He's placed us in whatever church environment He's placed us, and if He's got a specific call, He'll come and direct us. Uh, Barnabas and Saul were up to their neck in the work of God. Uh, it's, a, it's a case of um, usually God moves those who are moving. Do you know what I mean? In the sense that they're 
all out and, and given him their total lives and then he says I can trust them to do something more and, and he gives them a specific call but I, I really appreciate that that's a great, great word I'll open up a can of worms since we're uh, getting close to being done here. Um, but I would, I would say in the last number of years, the, this is maybe going to touch on a couple questions we heard earlier, but the, I would say the combination of the political environment, social unrest, even dating back to the George Floyd situation, um, you know, social media thrown in there. It just seems like there's so many dynamics firing on all cylinders. And, uh, you know, there's leaders trying to lead but seeing things that are being posted all day like, what? And so as, as, as kind of social media and political turmoil and all that has kind of hit together, can you just share some sense maybe that you've learned or... or kind of made a commitment to, to to help all of us how do we navigate this environment where it seems like a lot of Christians are mad and everything's got to be passionately stated and I have to be opinionated about everything and it's like we have to pastor these people we have to shepherd them we have to point them to Jesus and so it's maybe it's a can of worms but I'm, I'm just curious as to your wisdom on how do we handle this in in this kind of environment because, uh, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm 41, but I still remember before the Internet. I remember when none of this was happening. I, I remember when people voted and kind of just that's what you did. But now there's drama that's playing out all day, every day. And, and so I'm just a couple, a couple minutes each on that. I, would, I think it would be helpful. I, I really get concerned about what I read Christians uh, putting on. Uh, I, I read one today where... Um, someone had been thanking God for the life of the Queen, you know, and the Christian wrote, "Thank God the wicked witch is dead." Oh. And uh, I, I had to fight off responding because I refuse to fight on Facebook. Amen. But yeah, and and the thing, but what I found was this: uh, if you get a chance, if you haven't already, listen to uh, King Charles's speech today that he brought to the nation. Uh, and he talks about his mother. And the fact about it was that she stayed right out of politics. Whoever was in power, which she, remember, she's the one that gives the right hand of go for it to the prime minister. But she stayed right out of politics all her life. You don't find her taking sides. And he said that her faith, all right, guided her to see that she was too serve God and serve the people. And uh, uh, amazing. But brings it to this, um, we are not of this world, the scripture says. We belong to the kingdom of God. It's going to be different from our world. Now, do I believe that you should vote? Yes, I do. I vote according to my values. I, I, I I vote according to whoever is near to what I believe and, and the values that I believe. Uh, I don't make a song or dance about it. I never uh, tell anyone from the pulpit who they should <clears throat> vote for. Uh, the last time I did say to them, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, um, but I'm going to tell you how to vote. And uh, I went through the values of Scripture. 
And uh, I said, these are important things. And, uh, but the way you vote, I'm not telling you. I said, there are good Democrats and there's good Republicans. And uh, the Lord will show you who's holding the right values. I don't believe that it's our place to get involved uh, in all that and all the conspiracy theories I, I feel are distractions to the church. And I've wrote privately to some people who have put some stuff on Facebook. And I said, I want you to understand, I'm asking you to be careful what you're putting on Facebook because my unsaved family are reading what comes up on my page. And uh, I, I'm not happy by some of the things that you've been saying. And every one of them has wrote back and apologized and said, I'll be more careful. But um, I think that's the best line to take, you know. Well, it certainly is a different day today, uh, Derek, than it's ever been. But I I can imagine in some ways our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents felt the same way. And so we've got to learn how to swim in the new water. And, um, you know, at at both a, a church level and a personal level, I encourage people to try to have a big tent uh, be, because people have disagreed on theological issues since uh, the church started, right? And we, we bump up into that in, in, in Acts 6, and then in Acts 15. They're, they're already divided and yeah. having to pull councils together and figure out what, what's truth and what's the best way forward. And, and so it shouldn't surprise us that there are difficulties. What what what's is maybe more surprising today is just the bitterness and the anger and the rancor that that is present and that people feel in some ways in our culture an explicit permission to just go for and so i've encouraged our people to say you know respect uh when you're engaged in in dialogue we often approach it upside down we want to debate the issues and we don't really listen and understand, and, and we certainly don't value other people. Flip the triangle upside down and start with, a, start with the premise that all people are created in the image of God and are worthy of respect and dignity. Yes, and then, secondly, seek first to understand. Like, as you're engaging in dialogue or discussion. And then, thirdly, share your perspective. But work hard at Romans 12.8. Uh, 1218 which says you know as much as is possible live at peace with everybody and and i think frankly the church has kind of misunderstood ephesians 4 where we kind of quote speak the truth in love i think if you look at the context of ephesians 4 what paul wasn't doing was saying i give you permission to beat people up with the bible (laughs) because if you read the context uh speaking the truth in love has to be dealt with verse 2 in love and respect and humility and we kind of like miss that <laughs> as we're like going to straighten people out. And I don't know that it's really our job to straighten people out anyway, uh, unless a person has a particular special call in a special way. Our job is to love people and serve them in Christ's name and bring God's kingdom to them in the ways that, that God knows they need. And so I try to keep the picture framed larger and... Uh, Hopefully that helps a little. So. Okay. All right. I think we'll begin to wrap up here. I'll take that. Uh, 
I think what I'd like to do in the, just the last couple minutes is just, if we could, just the person next to you or across from you, let's, if we could, I'd like to just close in prayer and maybe even Pastor Ben, Pastor John, could you pray over us just to officially close out this uh, three days? Um, I sure wish we had way more people, but I think the right people have been here to hear your wisdom and uh, I so appreciate your, your long faithfulness and your willingness to share a lot of it this uh, past couple days. And before I have you pray, though, I keep having come back to me this thought of Moses. And I, I feel like I need to share this. So let me do this. Just humor me for a moment. But Moses, when he was 40, he thought he was called. Made a bunch of mistakes. But when he was 80, then the, the call came. And I just, I guess I felt... Not that that age is going to exactly align with you guys, but I felt that I should share this with both of you, that, you know, you're closer to 80 now than to 40, but I feel like you're going to step into more, like, uh, impact and leadership than maybe you've thought. Not that you're going to have to do more or unretire. I know you both keep them busy with retirement. <laughs> but I just felt like, just as Moses you know, culturally, we'd say, oh, man, he's 80. Whoa, it's getting time to phase out. He was just getting started. And so I just feel like there's some, there's something there where God says there's more. And I don't know what that. I want to be around till 120. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what I'm saying is it's till 120. No, um, but I just wanted to share. I just felt the, the kind of maybe that was the Lord just. Uh, he's he's going to keep using you, too. So thank you for how you've been faithful and. Uh, please pray for us uh, as we close out tonight. We want to thank you, too, uh, for putting this on. It's been, to be honest, Ben and myself, we're not worried about the numbers. Uh, We believe the Lord gets in who he wants in, you know, and um, uh, I I just appreciate, especially those who have come every night, that's been terrific, and uh, it's been a great time. And don't be discouraged from doing it again. Uh, you know, uh, because of numbers. Don't, don't get worried by the numbers. All right, should we pray? Absolutely. Amen. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, and we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you, Jesus, that you came, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, you died and rose again, and Holy Spirit, Uh, You empowered us and uh, you have comforted us and you have directed us and guided us and we give you praise and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for uh, this uh, wonderful gathering of people who have come because they are passionately desiring more of you and uh, want to walk in your ways and to uh, see your kingdom come and your will done on earth as it's done in heaven. And so I pray tonight that everyone will leave encouraged, that everyone will leave empowered. I pray for a fresh anointing of Holy Spirit on us all. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will work 
uh, in us and through us for the glory of the name of Jesus and for the extension of the kingdom of God. Oh God, we pray that which you are beginning, we feel there's something powerful going to happen and that Lord, it is beyond our understanding. We don't even want to try and work out how it's going to look, but we say, move on, Holy Spirit, do your thing. Oh, have your way, we pray in the name of Jesus. We particularly pray for the greater Peoria area. We pray, oh God, let there be a mighty revival of your people and a a greeting gathering of the lost. Oh God, hear our cry. I pray blessing now on these that go from here tonight with a fresh understanding that they're in the greatest thing that's happening on earth, the church of Jesus Christ, and they're a part of what you are doing today, and they called to the kingdom for such a time as this. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just want to say thank you for the men and women that have invested their evenings to learn and be uh, touched by you and to worship and to grow and serve and change and that their very presence here is an indication of their willingness to say, come Holy Spirit, take my life and use me. I bless the, the, the past which has been your mercy that has brought us to this very place. As different uh, as our journeys are and as challenging as many of them have been. But we thank you for your present ministry through the love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that uh, the places where each one is serving, in their churches, in their ministries, in their neighborhoods, in the parachurch ministries, and the places where they're serving uh, in the communities, the church families that are represented, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out afresh and that you would give a a new season of ministry. Lord, you say in Ecclesiastes that everything is beautiful in its time. We're thankful for the past. We're, We're grateful for the present, but we're trusting you and your sovereign purposes for what's lying ahead for each of these men and each of these women the ministries, the teams, and the people in, with whom they're, they're serving. Ultimate, Lord, for the greater glory of God and the betterment of people in the Peoria, Taswell, Woodford, and Marshall, and Stark County areas. That the name of Jesus would be lifted high, that the kingdom of God would come, and that you would return, Lord. It's in your precious and powerful name that we pray and, and say amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.